Good morning. Well, as you all heard just a moment ago, uh, our senior pastor is in the middle of his summer sabbatical, and before he left, our leadership team was looking ahead at the preaching calendar, and when we got to this day, they were like, ah, early August, lots of people on vacation. Surely that's a safe week to give the guitar guy a shot, right? Um, Unfortunately for you, they never came up with a better idea. So here we are, my friends. I promise you we will get through this uh, together. Uh, No, it's a joy to be with you here this morning. Uh, Hasn't this Proverbs series been amazing? I have loved watching this book come to life for our church, and here's the cool thing about it. All of us that have been given an opportunity to speak during this series, uh, we got to choose the proverb that we were speaking on. And a lot of us made the choices that we did because the Lord has orchestrated our lives in a way that has forced us to live these principles out in a very tangible way. And my situation is no different. Uh, I prepared most of this talk from the tiny work desk provided by the hotel room that my wife and I have been living in for the last month. Uh, Our apartment flooded back in June and we were relocated to this hotel room so that repairs could take place. And we had a very generous family in this church offer uh, and allow us to house sit for them a couple times. So we kind of got a change of pace that way. But besides that, we have essentially been uprooted and without a real home for quite some time now. And so the Lord has really been stretching me in this place of day-by-day dependence and reliance upon him. And that's, that's a lot of what's going to be driving uh, what we're talking about here this morning. And I wish I could tell you that this situation was the first time I've been invited to take this step of step-by-step faith dependence. But for those of you that are familiar with my story, you know that that's not the case. In the summer of 2016, I had just wrapped up my freshman year of college and I was visiting my family in Illinois uh, one weekend in July. And the four of us, my parents, my sister and I, uh, attended our church that Sunday and we had a very radical encounter with the Lord that morning. We felt his voice speaking audibly to our entire family that he was beckoning us, that he was calling us into a season of greater faith. Now, none of us knew what that meant at the time, but in the months that followed, we began peeling back the layers of what this greater faith could be. And for my dad in particular, this looked like partnering with God in putting on display who he was as a healer. And so how this transpired is my dad would be in conversations with people, and anytime any sicknesses or ailments that this person was dealing with would come up in conversation, he would stop the conversation. He would lay hands on them, and he would pray for them and declare God's healing power over their life. And here's the amazing thing, he actually saw results. There would be people walking away miraculously healed from these, after these prayer sessions with my dad and watching their lives radically change uh, forever simply because my dad was willing to say yes and watch God work through him. But I believe this was the beginning of something darker taking place in my dad's heart. Because you see, when I was in eighth grade, my dad was diagnosed with type two diabetes after he had had two blood clots in his leg within a year of each other. The doctors prescribed him blood-thinning medication and told him that he'd need to take these meds for the rest of his life in order to properly manage his health going forward. And so all this time, Dad is watching these results of people's lives being changed and people being healed of their ailments and of their diseases. And in the back of his mind, I believe he was going, why not me? So fast forward to October of 2018, I get a phone call from my dad, and he says, I believe I've received good news from the Lord. He says that he proceeds to tell me that he believes God is once again calling him to take that step of greater faith and to go off of his diabetes medication, and he will sit back and watch as the Lord miraculously heals his body without the medication. Now, you have to understand, up to this point in my life, I'm 21 years old at this time, my dad was my spiritual giant, my mentor. 
And when my spiritual mentor comes up to me and tells me, I've heard from the Lord, I, I need to take the step of obedience, who am I to question that? And so the conversation continues. I tell him I support him in his decision. I'm praying for him, and I'm excited to see what the Lord does. And a couple months that go by after that, everything seems fine. No episodes with his health. My wife and I get married a month later, and he's at our wedding. He gives a toast. He gives a speech. Everything. Everything is good. And then 12 days after our wedding, when my wife and I are on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean, we get a phone call to the phone inside of our room on the boat, and it's my mom on the other end. And she says, son, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this. Your dad collapsed on the floor, and he's passed away. And I, I'm in disbelief. I, I, I honestly don't know how this could happen. And in the days that follow, and as, as we get home and as, as the medical professionals are examining what happened, the conclusion was made that he died due to cardiac arrest as a result of a complication from a blood clot in his leg. Now, aside from the agony and the anguish that this has inflicted upon me and my family, I'm left with two options. Option one gives me a pretty clear exit from the feelings of betrayal and confusion, that is to simply conclude that my dad was an idiot, that he didn't hear right, that he, that he was misled, that he was deceived, that God didn't actually ask him to take this step of faith. And there's probably many of you in this room that as I'm telling you this story, there are some of you gravitating towards that conclusion. But church, I knew my dad. He was not a man of impulse. He was not driven by his emotions. He was very calculated and precise with his thoughts, his words, and his prayers. So if I'm to give him the benefit of, that, of the doubt in this situation, which I very much would like to, then I'm left only with option two. And option two says the God that I serve, the God that he served, the God that we serve, asked my dad to take a step of faith that ultimately cost him his life. Friends, what do we do when following God's calling in our life not only does not promise us a life of good fortune and success, but rather it leads us through some pretty heartbreaking and at times muddy waters? Thankfully, I believe God's word has the answers for us this morning. So if you do have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there is one in the seat back in front of you. That version is called the New Living Translation, and that's the one I'm going to be reading from primarily this morning. Today, we are talking about trust. Now, I know as soon as I said that word into the microphone and it hits your ears, some of you immediately tightened up. Maybe you even had a turn happen in your stomach because many of us have had a very grueling, trying journey with this concept of trust. We hear oftentimes said that uh, trust is not freely given away, but it is what? It is earned. Trust is earned. Trust takes time. Trust takes intentionality. You begin to trust somebody when you see a series of good works done on their part that are full of compassion and yet equally empty of agenda. There is a reason why when we're not expecting anybody to come over to the house and we hear that doorbell ring or we hear a knock at the door, we look through that peephole first. Or we peel, black, we, we, we peel back the curtains like a centimeter so we can look out with one eye who's actually there. Why do we do this? Because at one point, we heard that doorbell ring, we heard that knock at the door, and we skipped wistfully to the front door, and we opened it blindly only to immediately be hit with the reality that we wish we hadn't done that. Maybe it's a salesman peddling a product that you have absolutely zero interest in. Or maybe it's that neighbor across the street whom we love because Jesus loves them so very much, but they insist on talking and talking and talking until the literal return of Jesus. 
We have one or two or however many of these experiences, to the, and it, it gets us to this place where we stop trusting in that innocent ringing or knocking on the door, and we only trust our own gut instincts, which tells us it is not safe to open that door until we know who is there. And it leads us into this place. We, 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 match, we, we change our behavior to match our recently violated trust. And it turns into this place of great cynicism and skepticism and unwillingness to trust. Now, some of these behaviors that we develop are, are happening because of a gradual and natural healthy progression of life. We, we mature out of childhood into adulthood, out of this place of naivety, and we learn to uh, adapt and handle situations differently than we did when we were younger. But at the same time, there are some of these habits that we develop that are out of places of great trauma and sinfulness, either engaged in by us or done to us. But friends, the amazing thing is I believe God's word gives us a clear way out of this space, this space of unhealthiness where we don't know how to trust ourselves, we don't know how to trust others. And here it is, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. It's funny because my dad used to make me memorize scripture as a kid, and he would say to me as we were doing these memorization exercises, son, you need to learn this because when life gets hard, when situations get difficult, when Satan comes to attack you, these words will be your defense. And this is actually a passage that he made me memorize, and I remember very vividly having to memorize uh, this group of verses, and it wasn't until his passing that I started to internalize just how four little phrases could be such a tall order. Trust in the Lord with all my heart, do not depend on my understanding. My understanding, the only understanding I've ever known. Seek his will in all that I do. As I read this, it starts to pile on and just becomes so overwhelming. But let's, let's break this down piece by piece because I believe there's some really cool things that God's inviting us into here. So one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's interesting about this is we say all the time that we believe God is who he says he is. We believe he's the same God who split the sea, who healed the leper, who walked out of that tomb on the third day. But we still find ourselves in places where we are unwilling to give him, to give him access to our full heart and our full trust. And yet, we are just as quickly willing to hand all that over to people and places that have not earned it. Let's start broad and work in more personally, shall we? Because I, I do want to be fair. There are things in life that have earned our trust. For instance, the law of gravity. It is such a simple concept. It is so commonplace. You may not, you, most of the time, we don't even think about it. We just instinctively know that what goes up must come down. And nobody had to teach us this. Nobody had to, nobody had to invite this into our mindset. We just learned it. And you may scoff at the simplicity of this law, but it actually drives some very important and key decisions that you make in your life. It is because of this law of gravity, to which I 100% subscribe myself to, you will not find me jumping off the steeple of Samsvik Chapel. No matter how badly I wish I want to fly in that moment, I know the law of gravity still applies. Why? Because I've seen my life play out, I've seen the lives of others play out where this principle has proven to be true over and over and over again. So there are things in our life that have earned our trust, but at the same time, we are so quick to just hand it all over to things that have violated our trust over and over and over again, and we just can't seem to learn the lesson. The American political system. 
Let's close in prayer. No, seriously, like, uh, we could stop right there because you already know what I'm talking about. Friends, I have not followed politics all that long in my life so far, but I have seen enough people run for office, come in an office, and come out of office to know there is no knight in shining armor coming to save us there. Our knight in shining armor is Jesus. He already paved the way. He already did the work on our behalf we, so that we could have life and life abundantly in him. And yet... I still manage to slip into these places where I'm getting so worked up over who is or who is not in office. I so quickly hand my heart and my trust to these people, these parties that were not built and are not worthy to have my trust. What about friends, family? This could, be so, this could sound so innocent because we love them, they love us, they do right by us most of the time but there can be this unhealthy dependency that we develop on them that they do not have capacity to fulfill for us. My faith was only at the place that it was when I was 21 years old because of who my dad was. There were parts of my faith built up in a man, and it took the passing away of that man to to be faced with the reality that the pieces of my faith that were built in sand were to come crumbling down, and right when he passed away, those pieces came falling down with with the rest of the sand. And then it was up to me. It was my choice as to whether or not I was going to pick those pieces back up and build them into a stronger foundation that would not shake. And yes, the process tore me apart. My optimism was so shaky in that season. There were so many moments where I felt, I felt justified and, and right to walk away. But if it was not for that trying season that the Lord allowed me to go through, I would not have been able to be transformed into who I am now. James 1 verse 2 says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, we sometimes will use this verse as a cop-out. We will pull this verse out of context because we don't know how to reckon with or, or navigate the situations that are in front of us. And so we just pull this verse out from memory and slap it on the situation and pray to God that it'll be okay. But it's important to know why we consider it all joy. And the, and the why is in the verses that immediately follow it. Consider, all, consider it all joy because, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Friends, it is a joy to experience trials, not just because it tests our faith, but rather it reveals to you what your faith is really in. It holds up a mirror to you, and it it allows you to see who you really are and what you really believe in. And this is a dangerous prayer to pray, but I'm going to encourage all of us to, to consider it in our lives, and that is inviting the Lord in and saying, Lord, search me and know my heart and reveal to me the ways that I have misplaced my trust. Show me the ways that I have handed my allegiance to idols. Show me where my trust in you begins and where it ends. There's this illustration that we're, many of us are familiar with about this object, that this object can look a certain way on the outside, but when it's put under pressure, when it's squeezed, what's on the inside of that object will inevitably rise to the surface and come out. Friends, when you are put under pressure, when life gets hard, when the walls feel like they are closing in around you, what comes out of you? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it worry? Or is it trust? Is it worship? Is it surrender? Our prayer should consistently be that the Lord be revealing these places in our hearts so that we can healthily step back into a place where we are re-centering our trust on him, the firm foundation. So we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Number two, we lean not on our own understanding. 
Church, if I was only left with my own understanding of the events that led up to my dad's passing and the events that followed after, not much would be left of me except a cold, bitter, hardened, empty person. Because if this was the man that I followed, if this was the guy that held elements of my faith, this guy followed God so blindly and faithfully to the point where he killed himself in the process. What does that say about me? What does my future hold for me? I've never had to anchor myself more to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4 than in this season. It says this, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Friends, we have to believe that there is more than meets the eye in our lives. We have to. We cannot afford to lean on our own understanding because the forces that work on our behalf and also against us are so far beyond our understanding. In the, in the end of that verse, it says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And then Paul also writes in Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a battle being waged for your adoration, your attention, your devotion, your very soul. And the only way that you can wage war against those things at its core is in your trust and dependence on Jesus Christ. Philippians 4 tells us that as we make our requests known to God through prayer, petition, and, thank and with thanksgiving, that the Lord will grant us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, my friends, that, that phrase, that peace that surpasses honor, saying that is such a beautiful phrase to cross-stitch on a pillow or to include in a watercolor painting, whatever your choice of art is. But if we're not careful, we can miss the invitation that is in that verse, and the invitation is this. In order to achieve the peace that surpasses understanding, I must then relinquish my right to understand. I was talking to Pastor Tim Nellis about this earlier this week, and uh, he pointed out that in that verse where it says we make our requests known to God through, through prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, that thanksgiving is the key because no matter what we bring to him, no matter how we bring it to him, we give thanks for the answer before we already even know what it is. We give thanks to him because we know that his answer, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it is, even if it's not the one we were hoping for, we know it is the one that is righteous, good, and true. And we believe that he has perspective that we don't. So we relinquish our right to understand. I give up my entitlement to the why. Well, how could? Why did this happen? The answer is, I don't know. He doesn't work for me. I work for him. And friends, I don't want to be unkind here. He is, he is such a gracious heavenly father and he, he will sometimes pour out the answers that we wish to know on, on us and he is gracious in that way, but he never owes them to us. He is never indebted to us. Yes, he calls us friend, but that is first because we first called him Lord. And lordship must always be the pretext for friendship. I cannot go with God as a friend where I have not given him access as Lord. 
So we lean not on our own understanding. We believe that he, he knows better than we do. And we seek his will in all that we do. The, the week after our apartment flooded, I, uh, our worship team staff had a, had a community night for our worship team members here at Calvary. Um, and I was sharing with them, because it was fresh on my mind, uh, that in moments of crisis, the Lord has taught me how to respond differently um, than I have in the past. And it's not a perfect science. I'm susceptible to uh, anxiety and confusion and frustration and anger, just like anybody else, and fear and all the rest. But when I'm able to stop and pause long enough, when I'm able to control my response in such a way, I simply try to pause and I say, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? What do you want out of this? Where is this leading? And I, and I don't always get answers to all of those questions except for the where. I always get the where. Lord, where are you? I'm right here. I'm right beside you. I see the injustice happening. It breaks my heart. It angers me too. But no matter where this is going, wherever this is leading, we will get there together. Can I tell you that sometimes a simple answer to that where question is enough to quell all anxiety and fear in the heart. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't absolve me from having to face what's right in front of me. But it at least ensures that I don't have to do it alone. Church, you have the same access to this peace. This peace that is granted to you through the Holy Spirit because of your belief and because of your faith in Christ Jesus. We seek his will in all that we do and then he will show us which path to take. The version that my dad made me memorize as a kid said that he will make your path straight. But here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and you will know the rest of the plan. It doesn't say, and you will know what lies ahead tomorrow or even later today. It says he will show you which path to take. He will make your path straight. And here's the, here's the agonizing thing about this, my friends. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, he works in step-by-step -step revelations. Can I just tell you how infuriating that is for me? I want the whole blueprint. I want that shining beam of light from the heavens onto the path. Lord, show me what this is. But here's the amazing thing. Even when he is guiding us step by step by step, we're still going to get exactly where we need to go. Why does he do this? Why does he operate this way? I don't think it's to torture us. I don't think it's to be cruel but rather because he knows it's how we were designed. We were designed to be fully in lockstep in dependence upon our king, to lean not on our own understanding, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when life gets hard, when the enemy comes on attack, when the, when the temperature of our circumstances increases, he will be right beside us. Many of us are familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 3. If you're not familiar with it, here's the, here's the basic background and overview. There's three men who are, who are working inside of this kingdom, and all of a sudden, one day, the king declares that all of his subjects must bow down to this golden statue that has been built. And the entire kingdom bows down in unison, except for these three men, because these three men worship the one true God of the heavens, and they, they know that it has been declared that they shall not worship other gods. So the king catches word of this, and obviously he's less than enthused, and he brings them to his, his throne room, and he gives them one more chance. He says, you will bow to the statue or you will face death. And the three men still stand up and say, no, 
We worship the one true high God, and we will not betray our allegiance to him. So the king orders his soldiers to tie these men up and march them to a fiery furnace. And the Bible says that the king ordered this furnace to be turned up seven times hotter than usual because of how angry he was. And so the soldiers throw the men in, tied up into the fire, and the Bible says that the furnace was so hot that the men who threw these guys in just by standing in front of the furnace were immediately burned up into nothing. And then the king looks inside the furnace and he says, wait, didn't we throw three men in there? And the soldiers say, yes, sir, yes, we did. And he says, you're not going to believe this, but there's, there's four in there. They're all untied, all unbound, and the fourth one looks like a god. And so he calls out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out of the furnace. And the Bible says that when they walked out of the fire, that the flames had not even touched them. That not a single hair on their head had been singed, not a piece of clothing was scorched. The word says that they didn't even smell of smoke. And then it says that the king commanded his entire kingdom to worship God, for there is no other God who rescues like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My friends, he is with you in the fire. He stands beside you even when you don't see a way out. He is ready to battle on your behalf. He is ready to stand in your defense. There was a beautiful song written by Hillsong back in 2018 that captures this imagery so well. And the final chorus says this, there will be another in the fire standing next to me. There will be another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how good you've been to me, I'll count the joy come every battle because I know that's where you'll be. There was a, I was listening to a pastor give a sermon recently, and he, he made the astute observation that there are aspects of God's character that we can only experience while in the valley of the shadow of death. God the protector, God the healer, God the provider, God the deliverer. None of these things are possible on the other side of heaven, because once we get to heaven, there will be no pain to deliver from. There will be no ailments to heal. There will be no tears to wipe away. Friends, one of the most amazing opportunities we have in this life very uniquely is to bring our God an offering and a sacrifice that costs us something because it is costly to worship him in the face of great adversary and trial. There's a reason why the Bible commands us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to consider it all joys when we experience trials because none of these three things have to be taught when life is going your way all the time. It may sound so backwards, but what would it look like to lift him up in the face of the greatest mountains that we think are so unmovable? To declare that, yes, God, you are a healer, even though you didn't heal my dad of diabetes. People always ask me, like, how do you, how do you stand firm in this faith knowing what your dad went through? And I, I simply say this, what happens to me, what happens to my family does not change who God is. Again, he doesn't work for me. I work for him. And out of submission to his lordship, out of, out of surrender to his kingship, I relinquish my right to understand. And, and friends, I, it truly is a peace that surpasses all understanding because I, I have had every reason come up in my own mind and my own heart told to me of why I have the right to walk away. But because I have relinquished my, my necessity to the why, he has given me a peace that transcends everything else in my life. And I am in this place now where I realize if he had stopped at the cross, it would have been enough. 
If he had done nothing else for me after that, if he had only given me the cross, I would be indebted to him for the rest of my life. So I relinquish my right to understand, and in turn, he gives me that peace that surpasses understanding, that, that transcends all logic and reason. He is with you. We consider it all joy to experience trials because it produces endurance. We trust in him with all of our heart, and we do not depend on our own understanding because there are things so far beyond our own understanding that we will encounter in this life. We seek his will in all that we do, and he will direct our path. So today, we respond in a few different ways. Number one, we respond in repentance. There may be some of you in this room that need to be on your knees, on your face before the Lord today and simply say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for misplacing my trust. I'm sorry for handling, handing it over so frivolously to idols and to people who haven't earned it, who are not worthy. God, you are the only one worthy. Forgive me. And then I encourage you to go to step two into recommitment and say, Lord, if there's anything else in my heart that I have not yet purged out, that, has, that I have not yet fessed up to, if there's any other things in my life that need a light shine, shined on them, reveal those to me so that I can recommit myself to you, that I can replace my trust in you and you alone. And finally, we respond in remembrance. We're gonna take communion together here as a church in a few minutes, and the reason why we do this today is because if it were not for Jesus' first ultimate act of dependence upon his father, knowing that his dad had a bigger plan in sending him to the cross, none of this is possible for us. If he had not trusted first, we do not have the ability or the opportunity to trust. Friends, he has earned your trust. Even if you feel like life has not played out the way you wanted it to, Maybe there's some of you questioning, like, well, did, did these things happen because I didn't have enough faith? And the answer is no. People would ask that of my dad. Did, did he not have enough faith? No, I'm thinking quite the opposite, actually. Our faith is not in faith, but it is in him. Faith is in him knowing that he has a purpose. He has a plan. And maybe your first act of trust today, maybe, maybe all of this is new to you. Maybe all of this is a foreign concept. Maybe you haven't taken that first step of trust and put your faith in Jesus today. And I want to encourage you, if that is you this morning and you feel compelled, if you feel, feel led to take that first step, this altar is open. There will be, be pastors who, who can be available to, to pray with you and to, and to speak with you if, if that is something that's heavy on your heart this morning. But as we respond in these ways through, through repentance, recommitment, and remembrance, and also in, in worship, May we remember that he, he, has, he has earned our trust and that he, he, is, he is the most trustworthy of, of, all, of all things that we could ever experience here on this earth. He is worthy of that. And that we can lean on him in times where things don't make sense and when life gets difficult. He is with you every step of the way. Jesus, I thank you so much. God, for who you are. We, we give thanks for who you are when we just declare that you are good. Before we bring any requests to you, before we bring any, any burdens to you, Lord, we just declare that you are sovereign and that you know. 
God, I ask in the next few minutes here that if wherever we fall on that spectrum of response, Lord, that you would move in our hearts and that you would give us the opportunity to take those steps. And Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've forgotten just how much you've done for us, just how far you've gone to reach us, Lord, that you purchased us at a price. Father, give us the, give us the humility and the, and the softness this morning to surrender fully and honestly to you. In Jesus' name.